Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. This is Pastor Eric Jay from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, who sponsors this program where we celebrate the word of God given to us, the revelation of Jesus Christ through his gospel proclaimed, a gospel that itself delivers the power to believe and hope in the good news that is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, a resurrection that we're looking forward to here as we are officially in the season of Lent. Looking forward already to uh, its end in Passion Week and the resurrection of our Lord, even though we know the story ends with good news and life, uh, we take this season of Lent to reflect on really why Jesus had to come in the first place to die for sins, of which the consequence is death, and reflect in a season of repentance, uh, preparing our hearts once again to receive the resurrection freshly in our hearts and minds through the season of Lent. So Lent and Advent are very similar in that very similar. regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, where they're, they're both seasons of anticipation. Um, they focus on different points in the life of Christ. Um, but really, I mean, this, the season we live in as people in life is a season of preparation if we live by faith. It's a life preparing for eternal life. Right. You know, and so uh, they're just accentuated by the, the the big moments, of course, in in the story of salvation, the coming of the Messiah, um, waiting for Him to arrive, um, and then a, a preparation of our hearts. Um, dragged out over 40 days, representing the 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness, all that, um, waiting for that good news to come. It probably felt like 40 days for the disciples <laughs> from Good Friday to Sunday morning. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, it feels like 40 days waiting for him to come back. That's right. <laughs> Some days it does. Yeah. Uh, then other days, uh, you, you know, you, you walk in the joy of knowing and feeling more certain that he's here with me now because he is, you know, but our faithlessness, as it says in scripture, does not uh, determine or dissuade his faithfulness. Um, So we can know and trust that he is with us always in every season of life um, because of his word. And that's what we turn to here, continuing in the book of Galatians chapter three, Galatians chapter three, we're going to be picking up our study in verse 19. And uh, by the grace of God, we'll finish chapter three today. Yeah, we also have a listener question this morning. We do, we do, and I'm excited to answer this one. It sounds like a good one from what you read me earlier. Okay. Well, Chip, we've heard your your soothing, wonderful voice on the radio. Jason, how are yeah. you doing? Haven't heard from you yet. Well, I don't know if I'd put my voice in the <laughs> soothing, wonderful category, but I'm doing good. 
So uh, do you want to start with a question or should we start with prayer? Let's start with prayer. Okay. Lord Jesus, prepare our hearts and minds to receive the blessing of your word breathed out by you for what is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work that you would have us do to your glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, our listener question this morning comes from David in Lincoln. Hello, David in Lincoln. Uh, David says, we need more Jesus in us and in the way we treat others. We need the law to guide us and not to divide us. I'd like to know if Pastor Jay could talk a little bit more on what a legalistic believer can get caught up with and how one could recognize this in themselves. And before we even get to your answer, I have a second question. What is a legalistic believer? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, great question, David. Thank you for that. And I agree with your sentiment that uh, the law should guide us and not divide us. It's it's interesting you bring that up. We have an interesting term in our text for today in Genesis, uh, Genesis Galatians 3. Um, uh, Pythagogos is what it is in the Greek, and it, it literally means a guide. Um, we'll talk more about it later, but like a schoolmaster, as the King James uh, translated it. So, yeah, we need that law to guide us, and it's it's guiding us not to self-righteousness. That's kind of the whole argument that Paul's making in, in Galatians 3, right? The law wasn't given uh, for us to follow as if that's even possible. Uh, the law was there to reveal sin, to bring us to repentance. Uh, and it is in the nature of every human to be a legalist. Uh, Jason, what we simply mean by that is someone who who believes themselves to be righteous enough for God and then because of that belief, wrongly expects that of everybody else. Tries to go around finding what everyone else is doing right or wrong in the faith, quote unquote, uh, because that's what they think makes them Christian or a better Christian, if that makes sense. But we're all sinners. We are, yeah, and, and but we, we certainly have a propensity to measure that sin, do we not? I mean, we, we look to the person next to us, and I think it's all within our nature to say, well, I know I'm a sinner, but at least I'm not that sinner. Right, we wag our fingers. Right, and, I mean, the, you know, at least I'm not Hitler, or at least I haven't murdered someone, or at least I haven't stolen a car. That makes sense. Uh, I can definitely relate to saying, yeah, at least I haven't murdered someone, but you know, I probably wouldn't roll that back to saying at least I didn't speed as fast as that guy or something. But there's, I think there's a level of severity there. And there, and there we go, just judging. <laughs> so, right? We, we do it without thinking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and we do it, if we're honest, um, out, of, out of self-justification. Does God view all of those the same? Absolutely. Well, uh, he, he views the offense the same. He doesn't view the consequences the same. And, and I think we've talked about this before on the show, mm-hmm. that there are certainly different consequences to sin, both temporally, right, and spiritually. So if, if I murder someone, that consequence is huge versus if I steal a candy bar from the store. The sin itself, in, in God's eyes, is equally worthy of death because the expectation for heaven is perfection. Mm-hmm. And there's no measure of perfect. There, there's no, it's not like perfect point one or, or perfect point two. It's perfect or it's not. Legalism comes when in any measure we start to think that it is our responsibility or God's expectation 
that we participate with him on any level in our own holiness and in our own righteousness, as opposed to trusting that that righteousness is given to us, credited to us, like Abraham, right? I mean, we've been reading Galatians, and Paul's called back to Abraham several times that Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. I think what's substantial in David's question is is he asks how does how do you start to recognize that in yourself? And I and I thought that is just that is such a, a, a an astute question uh, and a and a truly humble one, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it is one thing to say, well, the law should should guide us, not divide us. But then to also ask, I know that's a propensity within me. So how do I identify that? Right? Um, I would say one of one of the easiest ways to identify. Uh, if that legalism in the negative sense, and I'll talk about in the positive sense here in a minute, if that legalism is within you, uh, is, is if it truly affects how you're able to welcome someone that's different than you, that believes something different than you, that, that lives a, a lifestyle that maybe you don't agree with. Um, how, how do you treat those people? How do you talk about those people? I mean, that, that, that to me is the first basic way of identifying that. There's a big difference between saying, I disagree with this lifestyle. I don't believe this is right. I believe this is sinful. And, and then coming down on that person, degrading that person or, or those people. You can speak truth in love, and the truth itself will be hard enough. <laughs> and when you just use the term those people, you kind of start that whole... Right. Like ostracized group, you know, because we are all just people. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that right alongside that is when, when your judgment of other people starts to soothe your own soul. When, when you're doing those things and, and you, you find yourself doing that to make yourself feel better or more righteous, um, again, how do you identify in your, that in yourself? That's how I've identified it in myself before? Am I being critical because I'm, I'm, I'm proclaiming the truth or am I being critical because I'm being defensive of my own sinfulness and my own shortcomings? Those are two very different things. Well, and sometimes it takes other people to help you see that. I Absolutely. Mean, uh, when I'm driving on the interstate, you know, my wife will point out that I'm legalistic when I'm yelling at the other drivers because <laughs> clearly they can't drive nearly as good as I can. Right. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully that's what, you know, you're connected to a body of Christ for. And, and you know, that's why we have fellowships and ministries and everything else, uh, the fellowship of believers to hold one another accountable. But I think that's also there. Look, there's not being legalistic doesn't mean that you you throw the law away or that now all the expectations God has are out the window and you don't talk to people as if God has those expectations. No, he still has those expectations. Jesus said not one dot, not one iota of the law will be taken away until everything is fulfilled and finished. Um, So we are still expected to live according to God's law because it's good for us. And we should. We should be zealous for it. We should be passionate about it. Um, but it should not cause us to judge others' salvation or worthiness of it, I think, is really at the heart of what David's asking, right? No one's worthy of salvation. <laughs> no one. No, no human other than the Son of God himself. So I think when our, 
our passion and zeal for God and his word and his law drives us to make judgments on other people. Uh, that is when it becomes dangerous. And you can just think of the prophet Jonah, right? Here Jonah was called by God, spoken to directly by God, given the opportunity to, to be a prophet of God. And because God wanted him to go to Nineveh, those wicked, horrible people, Jonah made the decision in his mind, those people aren't worth it. They're not worthy of it. Well, <laughs> there's a difference between uh, the legal law of God and being legalistic, right? No, they're not worth it. And that's, and that's the message that Jonah should have proclaimed. You're not, you're not going to be saved because of you, Ninevites. You're a horrible people, but God wants to have mercy on you. Turn and repent and change your ways, and the Lord will relent and he will save you. I think those are two, uh, two very different ways of not only approaching, but handling the law of God. And we'll see that more here in what Paul talks about in Galatians 3. Well, in that story, they did. They, they did. did repent. Absolutely, they and, did. And Jonah was kind of upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's what was going to happen, Lord. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So anyway, a great question and a lead into yes, our text you, here in uh, Galatians chapter three. So we're picking up in verse 19. Paul has been uh, arguing against the Judaizers who are insisting that believing in Jesus is not enough. Uh, being legalistic with the law, um, particularly that of circumcision the law given to Abraham to be circumcised. And just going back to verse 15, Paul said, hey, look, let's use a human example. Uh, no one enters into a covenant and, and then changes it once it's already been ratified. That's what he essentially says in verse 15. What do you mean by no one? Not even human people, right? Once you ratify something, it's ratified. Nothing coming after that can change it. Otherwise, what's the point of ratifying it, right? So he says, well, that's the case with Abraham. 430 years before the Mosaic law, 430 years before Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, even before Abraham was told to be circumcised, what came to Abraham was a promise, a promise of a seed that was to come a savior, a salvation. So that first promise of God is not undone just because the command to be circumcised and then the Mosaic law later comes. The law doesn't undo the promise of the gospel given to Abraham. And so then he asks the question in verse 19, why then the law? <laughs> right? So follow his logic. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, Abram, leave your land, your fatherland, go to the land I'll show you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. Paul's point is, that's how this whole thing got started. It got started with a blatant, one-sided promise from God. Let's even go back to creation. Life itself got started with a one-sided action from God. There's no reason why we should be alive other than the gracious disposition and desire of God to share and show and reveal his love and who he is. That's how this whole thing, literally all of it got started. It's a one-sided action, a one-sided decision on God's part. And it's a decision of grace. This whole thing starts with grace. 
So Paul's argument, getting to it up front, is if God starts this whole thing with grace and love and then brings this law around, God is either contradicting himself or salvation doesn't come by the law. And obviously Paul's answer is salvation doesn't come by obedience to the law. It comes the same way everything has come. Grace and love and the promise and the word of God that spoke everything into existence. So he says, why then the law in verse 19? It was added because of transgressions. The law came because of sin. We didn't have the law in the Garden of Eden, right? We right. just had perfect life and we didn't know any better. We, the only reason the law came was because we sinned. We needed a, a compass, so to speak. We needed a mirror. We needed to be shown our sins so we would repent. Because the farther we get away from Adam and Eve, the easier it has become for humanity to sin and walk away from God. And so God, I mean, in his perfect time, comes to us and, and gives the law to reveal to humanity their desperate need for salvation. You can only walk away for it for so long. Well, yeah, I mean, you can walk away till the day you die, and then you're just away. Yeah. Yeah. But, but God doesn't want that to happen, right? And, but that's what we would do. If it wasn't for the word that reveals to us, if it wasn't for the law that shows us our need for a savior, we wouldn't know. And that's what Paul's saying. The law was given not to save us. <laughs> Otherwise, there would have been laws in the Garden of Eden. No. That, well, there kind of was. You wasn't supposed to eat of that. Was that not a law? Sure, but that law, to Paul's point, that law wasn't given in order for Adam and Eve to be alive. I gotcha. They were already alive, and they were perfect, by the way. Again, that, that only adds to his point. The law comes after, so the law was never given in order to bring life. Life was already there. Gotcha. And so he's saying the same thing for eternal life. You guys are taking the laws of Moses and the law of circumcision and acting like the law itself is going to bring you life. No, the law was added because of sin. Until the offspring, continuing in verse 19, should come to whom the promise had been made. So why was the law put in place? Very simply, Paul's saying the law was put there to be a placeholder. And, and more than that, he's going to come to say in verse 21 through 26, the law was there to reveal to us the Christ who was coming, to prepare us for the Messiah, to prepare us for grace. That's why the law was given. Otherwise, we would have never been looking for a Savior. We would have never been receptive to a Savior. We would have never thought we needed one. We would still think we're gods, like we were duped to, into believing by the devil in the Garden of Eden. So the law, contrary to what these Judaizers are teaching the Galatians, the law didn't, wasn't given by God to save you. No, the law was given to reveal that you can't save yourself and that you should be preparing for the one who will save you through repentance. And then he says in verse 19, and the law was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, really, and we don't have time to get in all, into all of it in this, in this show, nor three shows, but 
Paul's pointing out several weaknesses about the law in verses 19 through 20, the, meaning it's weakness to save us. Because remember, the argument that they're making is, you can believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. That The real power comes, if you really believe in Jesus and want to be saved, then you got to be circumcised. And you got to follow these laws. Eventually, it's meat sacrifice to idols and all this other stuff. And Paul's showing how the law, it's, it's a silly argument because the law is too weak to save you. It's weak because it was added because of sin. It's weak because it, it wasn't an end unto itself. It was here until the offspring came. And then it would be powerless. And it proves its weakness because it was put in place by an intermediary. Who's the intermediary? Moses. Moses and even Abraham himself, right? Mm-hmm. That, that law of circumcision passed down to us through intermediaries. As opposed to his argument, look, the promise, grace, came directly from God to Abraham. And that promise is given to all of us. Jesus would say, before Abraham was, I am. If you believed in Abraham, you believe in me, just like he believed in me. That's what Jesus himself told the Pharisees, right? And that's what Paul means in verse 20. An intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So basically, he's contrasting the law uh, with the much greater thing, which is God's grace. And promise. And promise. The promise specifically given to Abraham. Okay. Again, I talked about this last show, and it's important to think about it this way, I think, because it's it's clearer to our broken thinking. I'm not saying this isn't clear. It's just harder for us to understand. Think about Israel, God's people. How did they become God's people? God chose them. How did they... Did, did, they, they didn't make God their God because they obeyed the law. They didn't have the law. Right. He freed them first. He delivered them from Egypt. He walked them through the Red Sea. And then he said, I am the Lord your God. That's done. I've done it. My decision, my work, my power, end of story, you're my people, period. That's the starting place. Now, because you're my people, here's how you should live. You won't have any other gods but me. Why? No one else delivered you. I did. So you shall keep my name holy. You'll honor the Sabbath and, and worship me. Right? So the law comes not in order to save, but to show us the need for salvation. And those same Israelites, by the way, who walked through the Red Sea would wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because transgression. They didn't get it. They, they still thought that they were capable of saving themselves. So they built a golden calf. And so that's why eventually 430 years later, the 10 commandments are given. Then he moves on and says in verse 21, well, then is the law contrary to the promises of God? What is he getting at when he says, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Well, if God gave the law through an intermediary, but it was from him, now that Jesus has come, that grace is, supersedes it. Right. Um, so did God go back on the whole law thing? And, and is he working against himself here? Yeah, he's essentially saying, he's saying some of you are going to argue, well, if it comes from the promise and the law doesn't save, but God gave the law, then is the law contrary to the promises right. of God? Yep. And his point is certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. 
But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So he's saying, no, the promise actually is served by the law. The law is subservient to the promise. Right. The law drives us to Christ. The law holds us captive to sin and doesn't let us think that we can save ourselves so that it drives us to the one who can save us. And so he says in verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The coming faith, a faith given to us, not a faith of works. So before faith came, we were held captive under the law. And the law is thou shalt and thou shalt not. Right. Held captive meaning, not that the people in the Old Testament couldn't be saved, but that they they were looking forward to this faith in Jesus that was coming, this Messiah that would do it for us. That that revealing of faith. That and the argument's deeper than that. You have to keep in mind, he's, he's arguing against those who are saying you have to obey the law to be saved. So he's saying, no, the law kept you imprisoned. The law didn't save you. It kept you under the law to prepare you for the Messiah who was coming. And the, so the Messiah is the door is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Who, who frees us from the required obedience to the law. So then he says in verse 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When they say put on Christ, is that by the washing of water? Yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, we're going to have to spend a, a, another another show on this, which is great because this is just too good of stuff. Yeah, Paul's saying, look, when faith arrived, meaning not that the other guys didn't believe, but when the object of our faith finally appeared, we have this blessing of being able to see what what our forefathers hoped for. The law kept them imprisoned to their own sin. We don't need the law to show us that anymore. We have the cross to show us that. We have the cross that shows us what God thinks of our sin and what he's done with our sin. And we have the resurrection to show us the hope that we have of salvation that comes not through the law and our obedience to it, but through the law and Christ's obedience to it on our behalf. So that now when we believe and are baptized in our baptism, we're putting on that righteousness of Christ. We're being robed, covered in his obedience. So that when God looks upon us, baptized children, he sees the righteousness of his son covering us. And that's what actually happens in baptism. It's not just me remembering and me proclaiming my faith and what I've done. No, Paul says baptism is where Christ puts himself on you. And that's the hope we have because it's not what you do. It's what Christ is doing for you. 
We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com to find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.